Acts chapter 4, we're going to be looking at 24 uh, through 31 this morning. And don't stand, stay seated. Um, I'm going to read it and then we're going to get right into this. And this is all about praying Scripture. Praying Scripture. Praying Scripture. Beginning in verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Verse 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let me start out with some opening remarks. Um, Last Sunday we looked at the church needing to be more outspoken. Needing to be more outspoken in, in reference to speaking about the Savior. We spoke about the satanic activity that is taking place very openly and how it is accepted and even applauded nowadays. You guys remember that? Anybody here? Good. I told you last week that the battle is raging. God versus Satan. God versus Satan. We know that we win according to God's word. But let me charge you today to choose this day whom you will serve. Because it's clear, Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, you are of your father, the devil. You can't get any clearer than that. So we are either of our father, the Lord, or of the devil. There's no middle ground. Everybody worships something. Since I spoke last week about the satanic activity, it's only right to praise the Lord. Today for the revival, the awakening that has just started across the country beginning at Asbury College. There ought to be an amen there. I believe what's happening at Asbury College to be true and legitimate. People crying out to the Lord and falling on their faces before God that is righteous and that is holy. And it's not just at Asbury, but at campuses, at churches, at places of worship. All over our country, we're beginning to see reports that the Lord is on the move. 
He is on the move. We are engaged in a battle. News reportings are saying souls are being saved. People are confessing sin. People are turning from wicked lifestyles. Testimonies are being shared about the goodness of God. Lives are truly being touched and changed. And the sovereign king is being praised and worshipped. People are forgetting about their schedules, their appointments, and they're sticking around for hours after to worship. What would happen if you forgot about your schedule today and said, I'm going to stick around and I'm going to worship the Lord? Some of you may have already went to that place in your mind that says, I'm out of here at 12, preacher. I got places to be. And this is the very thing we're talking about. See, we have scheduled our lives so much so that if the Lord wanted to move with us and ask us to be available, we'd have to check our calendars, wouldn't we? In these revivals, in these awakenings, it's as if time doesn't exist. They place no emphasis on it at all. Last week I spoke about how openly wicked the world has become by their father the devil. Today I tell you that God is on the move. Does this mean this is a contradiction to what I spoke last week? No, not at all. This means that we are engaged in a battle. Do we understand that? A battle is raging. We are engaged in it right now. I believe what the church is seeing over this past week, the past 10 days that where this revival has broken out, I believe what the church is seeing is a rally cry, a battle cry for the remnant of God to stand for their master, King Jesus, and to speak of his goodness. And this is exactly what happens in Acts in chapter 4. This is what they're wanting to do. This is what they're praying for. They have a desire to stand and to preach about the goodness of God and the wonderful works of God. And so they go to God in prayer, praying that he would give them that boldness and that authority to continue to do the miracles that they've been doing. Asking for the Spirit to move in their lives. Asking for that refreshing. And guys... We must pray. We're entering, entering into very perilous times where the Lord's church needs to stand fully dressed in their battle armor, praising and worshiping the sovereign Lord. The supernatural work of the Holy Spirit is engulfing people right now as we speak. And I, pray, I want that. I want that. Do you understand what I'm telling you? I have the Holy Spirit, but I want the Lord to blow on us here. I want Him to blow on us. To engulf us. To lift us up. To be the razor of our heads, not ourselves. 
He has placed that incorruptible seed inside of us, that Holy Spirit where it dwells. He has placed it there. And as I see the Lord moving, I say to myself, don't pass us by. Please stop here. Please blow on us. Today we'll begin with prayer. I want you to bow your heads. Sovereign Lord, just as the disciples prayed, Sovereign Lord, hear our cry. Save our loved ones. Convict our hearts and move in our lives. Sovereign Lord, forgive us where we have broken your law. Where we have transgressed against you. Restore our homes. Restore our families. Restore our marriages. Convict the daddies of where they need to be in the marriage. Convict the mommies of where they need to be in the marriage, O God. Sovereign Lord, give people a desire to love you and worship you. Strengthen, O Lord, that which remains. Help us, O God, to remember our first love and to run to you. Sovereign Lord, I pray against us being lukewarm. Help us, O God, set our hearts on fire as you did the two men as they walked with you on the road to Emmaus. Lord, you're moving. Don't pass us by. Touch our children, our homes, the people that are around us. Lord, we love you. We get discouraged and we get disgruntled and we get down. But Lord, we love you and we come before you asking that you would forgive us. And that you would blow on us. Engulf us. Fill us up to where our cup overflows. To where it splashes out and pours out onto those that are around us. Not so that we could have a good feeling, Lord, but so that you... The one who deserves all praise and glory so that, you would de- so that you would receive that praise and that glory that you're jealous of. Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
the Lord should have the first place in our hearts. The preeminence. If He's the sovereign King, the ruler over all things, but not over our hearts. That's a terrible place to be. If we have exalted something before Him, if we have set a little God there on on a stool before Him in the place that He is supposed to be, we need to remove that. I've not got to my text yet, but we're getting there. Today we're going to see the apostles and the ones that are gathered as they praise Scripture. And they're going to praise Scripture from Moses to David to their current situation. And then they're going to insert it into their life. It is important that we see we need God's Word. Not just for preaching, not just for teaching, but also for praying. Listen to what it says in verse 24. Looked at this last week. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, this also translates out in other translations as Lord, Thou art God, which means Sovereign Lord. Who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. As they begin their prayer, after they say Sovereign Lord, or they acknowledge who He is, they then go on to to talk about what He has done, about His power. What do they say? They say this, Who made heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They begin with praying Scripture from the Old Testament. Why? Because the Old Testament is still relevant for us to see God's glory displayed. Plain and simple. The Old Testament is still relative for us to see God's glory displayed. Some people wipe off the Old Testament as if we don't have to go there. That's old news. But I'm going to tell you something right now. I know a lot of old people that are pretty smart. And I would be a fool not to listen to them. You understand what I'm telling you? You picking up what I'm laying down? So we see in the Old Testament, it's still God's inspired Word. Up until this moment, they didn't have anything else to look at. So the apostles here pray. And they use God's Word, but they just don't only use God's Word. They start at the very beginning of God's Word. They don't just start with the book of Moses in Exodus. They go on back to what Exodus chapter 20 and 11 is about. The creation account in Genesis chapter 1. Where's this verse at? It's Exodus chapter 20 verse 11. I've already read it to you. It's in the Ten Commandments. 
For in six days the Lord, L-O-R-D, all capitalized, made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. The word Lord is in all big letters. And the meaning and the reason for this is because he is the eternal one. He is the self-existent one, the sovereign one, the all-powerful one, Jehovah, Yahweh. And so they go straight to the source. They go to the one who created all things. But we got to see him as not just the king, but he's the creator king. He is the sovereign creator king. And you see this back in Genesis chapter 1 in the beginning. And this is what they're going back to. It's not just about Exodus chapter 20 and verse 11, but this is also about Genesis in chapter 1. And I want you to take note of this. As the disciples pray for help, they take it all the way back to Exodus, which then takes it all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. Why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? Why are they going so far back? Why are they doing this? I'll tell you why. They are reiterating the fact and the truth of Scripture that our God is all-powerful, the supreme creator king who created and sustains all things then and now. He created and sustains all things then and now. So if he created and sustains all things, if he did that in the beginning, it just shows us that he was before the beginning. Amen? So if he was before the beginning, then he is the true eternal God. Amen? Amen. Which means he is eternal, which means he is supreme. And so they say this and they're like, let's pray. And they start with the creator king, the sovereign Lord. They know that as the all-powerful eternal God, that he can grant them their prayer in accordance with his own will. They know this. So they go to the one that's the most powerful. Why would you go anywhere else? If you hold the key to unlock the door... Why would you go searching for another? We have the key that unlocks the door. It's right here in front of us. Why would we seek after, search after, something that is not comparative to the love of God? It's stupid. And yes, I just said that. It does not make any sense whatsoever. Why in the world would we go anywhere else but to the Lord? And this is what the disciples, this is what they're doing right here. They are inserting and applying the scripture into their life circumstances. So first they pray from the book of Moses. 
Second, they pray and apply Psalms chapter 2, 1 and 2 to their present circumstances. Look at Acts 4, 25 and 26. Listen to what it says. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? Now this is scripture from Psalms chapter 2, 1 and 2. It's all about Jesus. I'm going, to, I'm going to get into that. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Psalms 2, 1 and 2. These are the verses here that were given that, that Peter is, is saying here. It speaks of the kings and the rulers of this world coming against the Lord and coming against his anointed. They did not want to be bound by the love of God. They did not want to submit and bow the knee to God as sovereign, as the one that is and that was and that is to come. They would not want to have anything to do with him, nor did they want to have anything to do with the one that he sent, the Christ, the anointed one. So they begin to pray this. And the reason why they begin to pray this is because they're fixing to talk about what happened to Jesus. It's going to fulfill what they just prayed. And then they're going to apply it to their present circumstances. Listen to 27 and 28. This is, a, this is what Psalms 2 is showing us. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate. There's the kings of the earth. You understand that? Go back up. Go back up to the text. Go back up in 25. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. The anointed one that's spoken of here is Jesus. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people, peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. This is the fulfillment of Psalms 2, 1 and 2. Now, let's look at 29 and 30 where they apply this. So they read they quote this passage of scripture in their prayer to the Lord that's all about the Lord being persecuted Jesus, King Jesus all about him being persecuted, all about him uh, being, being put on the cross, all about Jesus being denied and just all, all this stuff about Christ. They pray this and now they insert it into their life. Look at 29 and 30. And this is their prayer. Don't you know that if the master suffered it, that you will too? That I will too? If the anointed of the Lord, which was Jesus Christ, if he suffered a death on a cruel, shameful cross, don't we understand that we are no greater than our master? This is why they're praying Scripture. They identify what happened to Christ and then they identify that they are being threatened. Do you see what's going on here? They are saying, Lord, look on us. 
Don't pass us by. Look what is taking place. You saw what happened to your son. Look what is happening to us. So they pray scripture. 29 and 30, listen to what it says. And now, Lord, they finally get to their need, their want, what it is that's taking place in their life. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed to the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What did they ask for? What did they ask for? First, they asked the Lord to look at their threats. Did they badmouth the enemy? I don't see that. I don't see that deal. Why? Because they were flesh and blood, right? They didn't, they didn't badmouth them. Um, they didn't gossip about them. They simply asked the Lord to look at their threatenings, at their threats. Lord, consider what is taking place. Please, Lord, look at our threats in accordance with your will. But look at our threats. Look what has been said against us. You know, when you're threatened, you can become very discouraged. When people go against you, you can be very discouraged. You say, well, that's awful, awful sissified of you, Brother Matthew, don't you think? Well, it's human nature. Elijah did it. Um, it's, it's true, it happens. There was a woman that spoke against Elijah who had just called down fire from heaven and burned up the prophets of Baal and the sacrifices and all the stuff that was there. And he still got depressed and discouraged. They simply asked the Lord to look at the threats. The second thing they asked for was that the Lord would grant to them, would grant to them to continue to speak His word with all boldness. Their prayer is, Lord, please allow us. Please allow us to keep preaching of Your goodness, of Your salvation, of Your wonderful works with boldness as you continue to pour out these wonderful works through the name of your servant, Jesus. Guys, this is a prayer that is most likely never going to be turned down by the Lord. Do you understand what I'm telling you? (laughs) If you ask Him to be able to preach and say, Lord, give me somebody to minister to, How many times have you ever asked that and the Lord gave you somebody? Every time. Every time. If not then, somewhere in the very soon future He did. Their desire is not to punish the wicked. 
Their desire is to be able to continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They say, Lord, look at the threatenings. Lord, give us boldness. Not to look at their faces. Give us boldness to preach the word of God. This is what they're asking. And then in verse 31, as we finish, I believe is what we are beginning to see today. Verse 31. I really, really, really like this verse. (laughs) And when they had prayed, you know, sometimes it takes two years, doesn't it? But sometimes he finishes and he answers our prayers before we're done with them. And I believe he can do that right here, right now, in this very room. He knows what we pray before we even pray it. But listen to how he answers them. It's not in word, but it's in power. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God answers in power. I believe what we are seeing in Kentucky at Asbury College and across the country that is beginning to spring up all over these little places and these campuses is many, many, many years of prayers by God's remnant. This is what I believe is taking place. And the Lord is answering with power. And this answering with power is good. It's encouraging for those that are ministers of the gospel, for those that are the remnant. It is good. It is encouraging. When you pray and you say, Lord, just bring them back. And then they show up. You know how good that... You know how awesome that is? Lord, touch them and convict them of this this sin that's going on in their life. And then the Lord shows up and does it. We get to the point of despair where we're just about to give up, don't we? We do. We get as low as we can possibly get and we think God is not hearing us. And we cry out, and we cry out, and we cry out. Prayer upon prayer upon prayer. I've heard of instances where it was a lifetime of prayer for one person. And then that person was saved in accordance with God's will in His time. But God demonstrates His power here at just the right time. Well, what would have been like if the Lord would have shook the building where they were at before they were threatened? It just wouldn't have had the same effect, would it? So what's he doing? He is encouraging their hearts. It is life-giving. The power of God is life-giving. When we begin to see God work and move, it is life-giving. It is encouraging. It lifts up. 
The Lord demonstrates His power at just the right time. I'm not going to lie to you as a pastor, I have felt like a failure more times than I can count. I've tried to maneuver in my own brain, how can I get people to church? Desperately seeking, how can I encourage them in the middle of the night when I go to bed, when I wake up? It never leaves. It, it never, never leaves. And then you think about quitting the ministry altogether. Because you don't see what you think you ought to be seeing from those that's around you. And you get to the very lowest spot. The lowest place that you could ever possibly get. And then God demonstrates His power. I've been to the place where I've, I've heard the, the battle horn of retreat. You ever been there? <laughs> you're fixing to give up. You're blowing your own horn. You're saying, retreat, retreat. We can't face this. We can't do this anymore. Tell me I am not the only one this morning that has been there. Where you begin to turn around and you begin to leave the front lines to tuck tail and run. To expose your backside. To leave the battlefield. You, you were so discouraged and so depressed that you just want to get out. You want to stop it all together and quit the fight. Retreat seems like the only option. Until we see the captain of the Lord's host appear. Until we see him display his glory one more time before us. Jesus Christ, it tells us in Revelations that he wins. He's coming back on a conquering white horse of battle who is called faithful and true whose eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many crowns, many diadems, clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And he is called the Word of God. And just about the time that we give up and just about the time we stop, here he comes to display his power. Here he comes to move for those that have been praying and praying and praying. It's as if you can see Christ advancing the front lines and he is saying, no, no, don't retreat, push forward. Push forward. Don't stop. Don't give up. 
push forward. And he's with us. He's not off on some lofty trip somewhere where he, where he can't be reached. No, he is with us. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He's with us, fighting, moving forward. In Acts in chapter 4, they were threatened. The shaking of the house was to show, I am with you. It was to display his power and say, I have never left you. We see the same thing happen in Acts in chapter 2 where the whole house was filled with a rushing mighty wind where He engulfed their hearts and He lifted them up. I'm with you. And this was an answer to prayer. Verse 31, and I'm done. Listen to what it says. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Wait a second, I thought Peter was already filled with the Holy Spirit. What, did he lose it? No, he didn't lose it. No, he didn't lose it. He was discouraged. They were discouraged and they were, they were guys, they were down. It had once become a flame and now it is now it is an ember. And what's happening is the Lord is blowing on that ember, turning it into a blaze. He's throwing gas on the fire. For all the rednecks in here, that's what he's doing. He's throwing gas on the fire. The Lord heard their prayer. Peter had already been filled with the Spirit. He was a child of God. But you and I both know through experience and also through the Word of God that we can become very, very discouraged to where it doesn't seem that the Spirit is even in us. But here in the text, it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Their prayer was answered. The Lord heard their prayer and filled their cup once again. You know that He can fill your cup right now? To where it's running over out of your heart and spilling on to other people? You know that He can shake and rock your world to its core right now and prove to you that He is with you? This is what I believe He's doing at Asbury. This is what He can do here. He can show us that He is with us. Their cup filling was so that they would be emboldened, encouraged, lifted up, 
so that they could preach the wonderful works of God. Just like they did in Acts chapter 2. And just as we'll continue to see as we go through the rest of this book. You say, Pastor, what's the point? What are you driving at? Number one, don't give up. Do not give up. Your family, your loved ones, your wife, your husband, your children, your grandchildren, yourself, do not give up. Press on in the power of His might. Number two, pray without ceasing. Number three, pray God's Word. Number four, preach the Word. All of you. Proclaim the goodness of God to everybody you come in contact with. Everybody, tell them. You may not be eloquent in speech like Moses. doesn't matter. You may stutter. You may have a speech impediment. doesn't matter. Tell them what Jesus has done for you. And number, fo- number five. Remember this, for at the right time we will reap a harvest if we faint not. Don't give up, pray, pray Scripture, preach the Word, and we will reap a harvest. Let's pray.